Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I'm somebody who doesn't research ahead, so I have nothing witty to say right now. And I'm also a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max, my poetry-resistant husband, Hello. to a poem which we use as a springboard for conversation in the one hour we have to ourselves in the evening. And the boys are now asleep. So let's talk. Okay. So this will be airing in February. No, it will not. This will not. Mm-mm. So this will be airing in January? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah. This has nothing to do with love. Okay. Or maybe it does. This is love. <laughs> right here. <laughs> Sitting across from you. Is it? Telling you about- that, that he loves you. <laughs> okay. All right, cheese yeah. ball. <laughs> oh, and I should mention for those of you who may be- interested. Uh, I'm going to be interviewed by Stacy Cochran on Stacy Cochran Live this Friday, February 1st at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That would be 5 p.m. Pacific Time for U.S. coasters. And tune on in or you can find a recording of the show on his Facebook page, Stacy Cochran Live afterwards. How do they find Stacy Cochran Live? Is it a website? It's on Facebook. He live video interviews? Yes, on his Facebook site. And it's spelled S-T-A-C-E-Y-C-O-C-H-R-A-N, live. We look forward to you watching. <laughs> so this particular poem I have chosen, because I think I've just been thinking a lot about my time in New York, which I seem to, to talk a lot about in this particular podcast. Well, formative years for you. Yeah. I mean, they were super formative years for me, but also there's just this... But also there's that sort of element of me not being able to reflect very well on my life unless I'm at least 15 years out from it. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm really slow to reflect. I mean, I reflect on my life while I'm going through it, of course. But it feels like I don't fall to any conclusions about my life until a good chunk of time has passed. Right. Well, it's, you shouldn't be coming to conclusions without some space and reflection. <laughs> I suppose it would be odd. At 19, I was convinced I had the greatest meal of my life. What was that meal? Oh, it was biscuits and gravy uh, just west outside of Prescott, Arizona. <laughs> Did you think that, that was going to stick even? I didn't think I was going to see 25, so sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, yeah, you, it takes a long time to reflect. Certainly. And so there may be good reasons, sort of personal reason why I might be drawn to this particular poem. But also Erica Sanchez has been a lot in the media. And so I just have taken notice of her, mm -hmm. which is stupid because she's very noticeable. Okay. <laughs> she has um, purple skin? Or no. I mean, she's uh, she's won all these great awards. Oh, okay. She's highly regarded. Yeah. Gotcha. All, okay. all over the place. Yeah. So I should have been, you know, I should have been well aware of her for a while now. Mm -hmm. And I saw an interview with her and Ada Limon and was reading it. And I was like, actually, I don't think I've actually read Sanchez's work. And so I got her book, Lessons on Expulsion, mm -hmm. and just loved it. So... Reading through, I was looking for something that I might want to do for this podcast. And so you glommed onto New York. I glommed onto New York. There were actually quite a few poems in there that I glommed onto. Mm -hmm. um, there were like four other ones that I started to oh. write shows for. And then was like, oh, and I kept coming back to the New York poem. Hmm. There are so many poems about New York that it's really difficult to narrow mm. it down. I mean, partly it's and due songs to and oh, any bit of movies. Art. Yeah, everything. Right. It has such a lit, such a rich legacy of um, all kinds of art. Also um, corners the market on the superheroes too. 
<laughs> does it? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. There's a good reason for that. I mean, it just looms large in the imagination for American citizens and Though it also has a really rich literary history. A lot of people were, were living and writing there, not the least of which, I mean, such a long list of people, but I can think, when I think of New York, I think of Walt Whitman, Claude McKay, Hart Crane, Langston Hughes, Dorothy Parker, Frank O'Hara. Oh, <laughs> I mean, there are, just, there are just so many major poets associated with New York, and that's just me naming, you know, the people who are gone, mm -hmm. uh, not even talk about the people who are living there now writing awesome poetry. So in writing a poem called Letter from New York, we are alerted to two things. Mm -hmm. This poem is aligning itself with or is in conversation with other poems about New York mm -hmm. and aligning herself with that literary tradition. And here's the interesting thing about this. You would think it would feel repetitive. Like if I saw a poem about New York, you'd think, Oh, never mind. I don't need to read another poem about New York. But I feel the same for poems about New York as I feel about love poems. Mm -hmm. Like how many thousands of love poems have I read? I am totally interested to read another one. Like mm -hmm. right now, I would love to read one. Mm -hmm. So and this may be particular to me, uh, but I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. As I said before, I lived there in my early 20s. And that that time and place is really deeply ingrained in my mind. And so perhaps there's that. But I think the, the other interesting thing about poems set in New York is that there's so much difference between them. It's such a wildly various city mm -hmm. from block to block, from moment to moment, that I think it becomes this wonderful springboard for people from all different walks of life to consider their position in society, the idea of the American dream. and all kinds of culture around it. So I wanted to read this poem with a little bit of that in the background, though what we're going to jump into is really a bit more specific to this poem itself. Before I read the poem, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Erica Sanchez. Okay. So, and I'm taking this directly from her bio huh. online. Erica Sanchez is the daughter of Mexican immigrants, a poet, novelist, and essayist living in Chicago her debut poetry collection, Lessons on Expulsion, was published by Grey Wolf in July 2017 and was a finalist for the Penn America Open Book Award. Her debut young adult novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, was published by Knopft Books for Young Readers. And it's a New York Times bestseller and a National Book Awards finalist. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, we might have should have heard of her. <laughs> I mean, in my own... I mean, I should... Well, never mind. In my own defense, just keeping up with poetry and nonfiction, uh, which are my two... And your children. ...fields, and, and, and my... Yeah. And, and chasing my, after your husband, and yeah. <laughs> trying well, all three trying of to us keep are just him running around. wild, yeah. <laughs> running around the backyard. He's also currently a 2017 to 2019 Princeton Arts Fellow. And is the recipient of the 21st Century Award from the Chicago Public Library Foundation. She also, and this is an interesting tidbit, was the sex and love advice columnist for Cosmopolitan for Latinas. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, right? Now that you're sufficiently introduced and impressed <laughs> with uh, Ms. Sanchez, I thought that I'd go ahead and read the poem and we can dig into it. Um, before you do that, if you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com. Click on the show notes tab along the top. Scroll to the show with the poem's name. The most recent show was always on top.
Letter from New York by Erica Sanchez. Every street, fried meat and onion, smears of shit and a gaggle of gadgets. What is the soul but this endless circuitry, the bright and pitiful idea you carry of yourself? Everything open, open. When you say available, what you mean is pornographic. Like a muted orgasm, you are wet and brimming with vague disgust. In the subway station, a man picks his skin and examines it. Feeling generous, he tells you he'd like to share his findings. Rat song, rat baby, rat cloud in the heavens above, the rich smell of baked garbage and coconut curry. Fifth Avenue, a woman's cupped hands catch her dog's excrement as the dignified ferrets talk numbers, tiny mouths moist with want. This is their desire, to slice dollar bills and saute them in fragrant oil. Greed is Saturn swallowing his own son, a man erect with both fear and hunger. The woman in fishnet panties stroke the fruit in a street cart. Musk of hangover so warm and thick you'll carry it inside your mouth for days. The sounds of wet brooms. Listen, froth, water, concrete, the absence and sputter of evening. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. In your flamboyant despair, you fail to suck the sweetness from all that is good and holy. Watch the pigeons so lovely in their suffering. In the melted fat of the hour, a crust punk chokes his dog in an empty park. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the dog whimpers, licking the filth from his wounded feet. Making the ambient sounds for your reading is going to be an easy guess. <laughs> City street in New York. <laughs> yes, fine point. That's why I chose it. Ease of the ambient sound. First poem I've heard them. Anybody mention a crust punk? <laughs> Ever. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that is true for me, too. <laughs> sort of nodding. I'm trying to think. I probably have heard something before, but I can't think of any other time. Gutter punks. Yeah. 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 Don't usually show up in poems. Yeah. At least not aptly identified and named. <laughs> Correctly identified and named. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the sort of gross violence associated with that particular image. Yeah. Is, is also unnervingly accurate. <laughs> Okay, but we're at the end. We should probably go back up to the... Yeah, let's go back to the stop. Okay, so letter from New York. It's got a quick little... Well, what is the... Is it an internal rhyme? Right off the bat, we have every street fried meat. Yeah, that's an internal rhyme. Okay. You are learning things. I just... I marked something. I'm like, oh, I heard that. (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. You you know also have gaggle of gadgets uh, mm. there just for a little bit of alliteration happening. But uh, let's let's start with the okay. the title. Mm-hmm. So the title "Letter from New York" is alerting us that this is an epistolary form. An epistolary poem is basically a letter in the form of a poem. Okay. This type of poetry was popularized by Horace, which we just spoke about last in the week. last last <laughs> week. Yeah. Specifically in the Roman Empire, it was also used by, I mean, it's been used by poets throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Alexander Pope liked to use it in his poems, moral essays, and it's continued in it popular contemporary poetry. One of the more potent poems, or at least one of my favorites that I can think of, the epistolary poem is a poem by Richard Hugo, who addresses the poet Charles Simic mm-hmm. in that particular one. I know that the impetus for that was Hugo and Simic were having lunch and Simic said, I'm going to Belgrade for, a, you know, a tour. And Hugo said, started naming all of the landmarks, started naming all the landmarks of that particular place. He said, oh, when, when did you go to Belgrade last? And he said, I, I'd never been to Belgrade. I bombed it. I was over Belgrade, but not yeah, in it. Yeah. And, <laughs> wow. and, and when they started talking, they realized that the poet Richard Hugo bombed Belgrade while the poet Charles Simic was a five-year-old boy there and that Hugo became very, very shaken. Uh, he had done such a thing and was just and met very, somebody who was almost a victim of his. Yes. Wow. Uh, and, wow. Uh, and wrote a poem addressing him and sort of, uh, sort of apologizing, but also really like thanking the fact that he was a terrible aim, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful poem and very, very interesting example of an epistolary poem. Now this poem is, of course, not not anything like that. Maybe I, I took us too far on a deviation there um, about one of my one of my faves. So letter poems are, you know, quite literally poems that read as letters. Mm-hmm. They're usually poems of direct address. Mm-hmm. And, and as most letters, you know, they convey a kind of intimacy. The reader gets an insight into the speaker's internal life mm-hmm. and not just their internal life, but what is going on in their life at a precise moment. It places us very, very definitively in time and place mm-hmm. in the way letters usually do, right? We send letters back and forth and we have, we put a date on top for a reason. Oh, yeah. and we address a person for a reason, right? I'm addressing this person at this time in this place. And so those, all of those things are happening certainly in this poem Although there are all, all kinds of questions I have about perspective and who is speaking to whom, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's not a love letter from New York. Nope. <laughs> now, this is one of the things I really like about this poem. And what I, what I like about this book generally is it's sort of unflinching allegiance to the real. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's excrement in this poem. There's excrement in a lot of the poems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's not a thing that's like left out of the view like she hasn't idealized this place at all in a lot of ways i think that i feel close to this oh that's unfortunate it's truly lit from the basement we have water rising in the basement from the heavy rains outside (laughs) we might have to cut this podcast short (laughs) Short. well if the if the uh, pump kicks in yeah so if you guys hear that in the background that's 
That's what's happening. That's water coming into our basement. <laughs> we re- would really like to maybe go to a different space. Uh, hopefully we won't get electrocuted by everything that's plugged in down here. <laughs> oh, it's so real and gritty. It's perfect for the poem. <laughs> so we're, we're, in, we're in a cold basement and there's water dripping in. <laughs> okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be very quick about, <laughs> about this. So where was I talking? Oh, I liked I liked the grittiness of this particular poem. In a lot of ways, I feel like the poem is aligned with my feelings about mm-hmm. New York, having been there so briefly. I, I mean, I, I love it much more than this speaker loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's also sort of aligned with uh, Eulabus's Goodbye to All That, which is really mm-hmm. in conversation with Joan Didion's Goodbye to All That, which are both essays about being young and going to New York with this idea of like, I'm in New York. And then coming to realize like, that doesn't actually mean anything. (laughs) Like you go to this place that has so much mythos surrounding it. And um, you get this feeling that you're inside of a narrative that is being driven by New York. You have bought into this idea of New York about how wonderful it is when there's a lot you can stop and look at and be horrified mm-hmm. or disgusted or or just stop and realize like what am i actually doing with my life other than just getting drunk in new york a lot and working a shitty job <laughs> which was my <laughs> which was my my year in new york mm-hmm. um, outside my undergrad now had i maybe stayed and made something of myself but i did not i think a good um uh, example of standing up and with your arms outstretched and singing i am in new york was in 30 Rock when Liz Lemon did it, and a guy ran up and spat in her mouth yeah. when she was praising New York. I'm like, yep, that's my idea of New York. Oh, I know. You really hate it, don't you? Um, I, well, I can't, I can't handle... It was my first time... Yeah, I can't it's handle... It's the crowds for it's you. It's too crowded. It's yeah. too... Uh, the I know, buildings you're... go up too high. I feel like everything's falling on me. I know. I have. I, I, I need those old horse blinders. <laughs> Literally, last time I was there, I just cupped my eye, my hands on the sides of my eyes, so I could at least look where I was being driven. But yeah, I, it causes you too much anxiety. Yeah, I, I just. I yeah. The first time I was there, I just I found the the hook and ladder fifty one bar. I walked in there at eight a.m. and I didn't leave. I just hid there all day. <laughs> I did not want to come out. And I feel completely differently about it. Like I see the skyline of New York and I'm like, oh, I want to go there. <laughs> I like I, I love it. But even though I love it. It's sensory overload for me. I can't do that city. Yeah, I love the sensory overload. It's sensory overload for me, too, but in a really invigorating way. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, I felt like at the end of the year that I lived there that I was in an abusive relationship. Like <laughs> I was I was in love with New York and New York just kept like pooping on your shoe. Exactly. And I'm like, any day New York will wake up and realize I'm wonderful <laughs> and realize we're in love and only I can change New York. And New York was like, once you get out of bed, get me a fresh pack of condoms. I got another girl coming after you. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, Move along. Hurry up and do me a service. Get out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm doing anything with my life here. I think that I feel like I'm doing something because I'm being around New York, which actually was true of my romantic life in New York, too. Like actual dating in New York sucked. It was terrible. Like any guy that I met was like who was taller than like five, four was dating half the city. Really? Yes. Really? Somebody. So somebody like who's six, four could do well there. (laughs) 
you would have like swept up if you could if you could stand your anxiety long enough. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, but back to the poem. <laughs> yes, and cer- certainly back to the poem. Okay, so let's dig in here. Okay. Every street, fried meat and onions, smears of shit and a gaggle of gadgets. What is the soul but this endless circuitry, the bright and pitiful idea you carry of yourself? Okay. Love the beginning. Mm -hmm. It totally places you here um, on a street, right? The sort of sensory information that you're getting, the sense that that's happening, but I really like that word circuitry mm-hmm. specifically. You know, it indicates a kind of uh, electric looping, mm-hmm. but also completely outside of the idea of meaning, it, it sort of has hidden in it the sound of circus. Mm. Oh. Right? Um, mm-hmm. There's something sort of bright and overwhelming that's happening there. But this you that's addressed here Mm -hmm. is really the beginning of my question for the poem and perhaps it's something we can we can dig into a bit there's a a second person point of view indicated in the pronoun you right and that that usually means one of three perspective structures either the speaker is addressing another character Mm -hmm. it's usually named as you might expect you know from a typical letter uh, the speaker is addressing the reader themselves or, and I'm taking this directly from Nancy Pogg's book, Right Moves. The speaker is addressing herself in her own mind as the reader overhears. Okay. Right. And and so my question for this is really who is speaking in this poem and to whom? Is this a letter from an anthropomorphized New York speaking to an unnamed you? So a persona poem ultimately, mm-hmm. or is this a speaker? speaker writing to a you from New York, the you being could be the self Mm -hmm. or to somebody else. Um, And I'm inclined to go with the second possibility simply because of the rest of the poems in the book, which are contemporary feminine, specifically from a Latina perspective. And a lot of the poems push against traditional, sometimes religious um, ideologies surrounding femininity and masculinity. I mean, the very first poem in the book is titled Quinceañera. So I think the speaker is absolutely particular and specific, which is what I really like about this poem and and the book, and specific to a a, a certain person who I think actually is the speaker talking to herself. Mm -hmm. But just for a minute, let's entertain the idea of this being a letter from New York City as a persona. Okay. And how that changes our reading of of the work. So the the you is okay. New York is still writing this to somebody else. Yes. Okay. To some per, unnamed person on the street. Let's so, entertain this for just so a moment. New York is following the person around, going, "Hey, that guy who was showing the scabs to you. I saw that. Is, is that what yes. you mean? Okay. Yeah. Like you you're know, welcome. Is that what is that what it's saying? I, I, well, that that's what it is. Like if we actually read it that way, as like letter from New York, mm-hmm. as opposed to letter from somebody who is in New York, then you get to something like the bright and pitiful idea you carry of yourself <laughs> is, is like particularly awful, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that maybe I struck on this idea for reading this poem because of the way I felt, <laughs> you know, when I was in New York, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe this would have been New York's letter to me. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I honestly don't necessarily think this is what the, the poet was thinking 
when she wrote it. But I find it very interesting to read it from that perspective. Everything open, open. When you say available, what you mean is pornographic. <laughs> and like you sort of being a, like a human in in this place. Mm-hmm. And that is that is only why there are some details later on that seem omniscient. Mm-hmm. You know, such as the woman in fishnet panties stroke the fruit in a street cart. I mean, I suppose it could just be a woman in fishnet panties standing on the street, but I assume she's wearing something over them. Well, it's New York. Yeah, but just nothing else. Well, I mean, how many, how many hundreds of people ride naked in Portland? Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. I take it back. (laughs) Also, I'm going back to like a party I went to in which the, the, a couple came as Adam and Eve yeah, they were naked. Oh. <laughs> so maybe that is totally yeah, possible. And there's no omniscience there at all. Like perhaps it's totally literal. Somebody's standing yeah. there in fishnet panties grabbing the fruit in the fruit stand. Okay, good. Well, then maybe we can just go back to this idea of the of the perspective being okay. the speaker speaking to herself and we get to overhear it. So we've already gone over the bit about being open, open and that that jumping directly into the idea of pornography, mm-hmm. um, which at this point I'm sort of feeling like there's a kind of mm, chiding happening of the self. If this is indeed a poem to the self, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily have to be Sanchez herself, mm-hmm. right? This could merely be the speaker who's thinking that, but if you go from open to available to pornographic, like that, that, yeah, that's that extension that is a kind of crescendo into what feels like a tisk tisk in some ways. And then like a muted orgasm, you are wet and brimming. And you with, go, who? Yeah. And then the next line. With vague disgust. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's bad. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happens at the end about that line. You're like, oh, really? Tell me more uh, about that muted. Oh, oh that's. That, this was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm going to so, I'm 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 gonna gonna, shuffle home. Yeah, I, I, I got to leave. I got I got some laundry to do. Like there's something. <laughs> there's already cab fare just on the, <laughs> next to the door. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And, and if we want to go along with this idea of, of leaving directly uh, walk of shame in the subway station. <laughs> One might assume on the ride home, mm-hmm. a man picks his skin and examines it. Feeling generous, he tells you he'd like to share his findings. Which I'm like, has somebody just picked a scab off of themselves and then shown it to the person sitting next to them? I, I, did I tell you about the offering that was left for me when I was working at the library? No, I don't think so. Somebody had, um, there was a person with... Um, I had seen the person and they were picking the scabs on their face mm-hmm. um, while staring at me while um, staring at you angrily. Uh, it was, it was, it was a, a person with obvious problems. Right. Yeah. And I went, you know, came time to close up shop. They went over and there's a hundred and some odd computers. So, yeah. you know, we have to go through and shut them all down and uh, got to her computer and there was this very neat, pile like almost in a cone shape it was just you had right molded it and worked it up a little pile of bloody scabs and then um you know with the with a bloody finger 
fuck you, was written on a computer. Oh, great. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's why she was staring at me like this was her message to me. I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's what came into my mind. But that's Cincinnati, not New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, there's this is beginning to talk about, because this is the very first interaction that we have here, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That somebody's feeling generous and wants to share his scabs with you. Um, this is the first specific interaction anyway, that it goes to like, it's not being like, oh, the life and culture, the people you'll meet. (laughs) (laughs) The people you will meet. Including this guy. No matter what you do. Yeah, exactly. The people you will meet. Yeah, of course. And it's on the subway. I I knew somebody uh, who's, uh, who worked very, very, in a very prestigious and, and profitable position in New York. And I mentioned something about taking the subway and she immediately was like, "Ugh, it's like taking the public toilet <laughs> to your to your job. <laughs> you know, and I was like, it sometimes feels that way. Standing in the subway waiting for that, especially in the summertime when it like sweats and kind of uh. sort of like spits on you at any rate. So then it goes on to rat song, rat baby, rat cloud in the heavens above. <laughs> <laughs> which i love i love this line um mostly because it's so unexpected i've never seen this line even close to this line in any mm-hmm. any other poem right it's it's quite original but i love that it's it's taking these three of course things that people usually uh, four things that people associate with beauty song baby cloud and it's a direct opposition to those by putting them with the next to the word rat mm-hmm. So, and I, this line, I think, really teases out the tension in the poem, right? All of our expectations when she says, letter from New York, with this, like, tra-la-la, the lights. Um, and she, every, every moment she undercuts that, mm-hmm. right? You throw a bunch of rats in, in whatever it is you're thinking, right? And then the rich smell line break of baked garbage and coconut curry, <laughs> <laughs> which is totally relatable. Mm-hmm. Fifth Avenue, a woman's cupped hands catch her dog's excrement. Now, Fifth Avenue is known as being one of the richer places in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine this really fancy looking woman with a fancy looking dog that she is nevertheless catching the crap of. I see her wearing, uh, but she already has um, clear server's gloves on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like something you get. You know, oh, like, yes. Yeah. Like no way would this woman let this thing touch her rings. Oh, no, absolutely not. No. But then you go on to. So so it's gone from woman to dog to ferret. So again, you get this sort of crescendo or decrescendo mm-hmm. rather of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. It's devolving. So you've got woman and then her dog and then below the dog, a dignified ferret, <laughs> which is actually a money man. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Here, here they are in the hierarchy going down. Exactly. The dignified ferrets talk numbers, tiny mouths moist with want, mm-hmm. which really gives you an image there. Yeah. Like I actually imagine a ferret in the suit. Which Licking is... its lips and its beady little eyes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is their desire, Colin, to slice and and leaving that line break there is really nice because you're you're like ooh, what are they slicing? Line break, dollar bills and saute them in fragrant oil. Like they they don't just want to burn money; they want to eat it, right? And and because of that, with the trappings of some fine meal, yes, or exa- some preparation exa- of a fine meal, exactly. And so we go directly from this image of consumption 
right? To greed is Saturn swallowing his own son, a man erect with both fear and hunger. Now, there's a famous painting titled Saturn Devouring His Son by the Spanish artist Francisco Goya. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular painting is in the Prado in Madrid. I saw it. <gasps> you saw it? Mm-hmm. That's right. You've been to Madrid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I've been to other places in Spain, but never there, which uh-huh. is sort of ridiculous. But I do know that, that Sanchez lived there as, a, I think, a Fulbright fellow. Nice. So I'm wondering... I mean, I assume that she's seen this painting Mm -hmm. in real life and it must have sort of cemented itself into her memory. I got to say this. The subways in Madrid, hot, the air is stale, Uh but clean and they don't stink. Really? Yes. Oh, that's nice. I remember walking down. I'm like, oh, this place is too hot. It's hot down here. But I'm like, oh, it smells perfectly fine, though. Really? It didn't even smell like body odor. Just really very surprised. Huh. That is surprising. Uh, I think I just kind of assume every large city that has a subway is has a subway that's sort of like New York. But beyond beyond this this painting, right? I mean, obviously the poem and the painting itself is referencing the the Greek myth of the Titan Kronos and then Romanized version Saturn, mm-hmm. who because he feared he was going to be overthrown by his children. He ate each one upon their birth. And then the last one, Zeus is saved by his mom and hidden until he's of age. And then Zeus comes back to take take over. And he begins taking over by giving his father a something to make him vomit. Mm-hmm. And the first thing, oh, that's right. So the mother switches out the baby for a stone and Kronos swallows the stone. Kronos slash Saturn mm-hmm. swallows the stone. So when he vomits up all of his siblings, the first thing he vomits up is the big stone. And then all of the siblings in reverse order. All the titans. Yes. Come pouring out. Exactly. I will, I'll have to put a picture of this in the yeah. show notes, but it's actually quite a gruesome and violent image. Oh, it's, it's, it's awful. It's tearing at the meat. Oh, no. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, there's like this big maw. And then he's holding on to he's like a body. And it looks like he's almost like yeah. emerging from. And, and there's like, like there. There, the head is ripped off and the shoulders ripped off. There's like a bloody stump of a head and a shoulder on. He's just like, nom, nom, nom. it's really, really unsettling. But to have that directly after the money men. <laughs> Sautéing in money and fragrant oil. Right. Greed is Saturn swallowing his own son. You know, erect with both fear and hunger is just a gruesome, <sighs> gruesome thing to throw in yeah. on top of just, you know, eating one's own children, right? But it goes so far as to think about the greed represented by these ferrets <laughs> who are so afraid to be overthrown, right? By perhaps not their children, but the children of their own evil deeds mm-hmm. that they just keep consuming everyone. Like they have to consume the world in order to stay on top. Mm-hmm. And then that goes right into uh, the woman in fishnet panties stroking the fruit in a street cart, which we've talked. I don't know if I've talked before about the sort of psychosexual connotations of fruit in Western literature generally, but anybody can sort of draw that back mm-hmm. through, especially women in fruit. It's usually connected. There's usually a woman 
who eats destroying a piece. the world. <laughs> I was going to say destroying the world, herself, her family, whatever it is. So anytime you see a woman stroking some fruit in a uh, in a piece of literature, you almost automatically assume that it is going to lead to somebody's demise, <laughs> right? In this case, maybe her own demise. Well, um, is she cradling it and stroking it like a cat? <laughs> like she has a pineapple. <laughs> no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> That would be awesome. I would love a Bond villain in fishnet panties stroking a pineapple being like, no, I expect you to die. You can't outsmart crazy, Mr. Bond. <laughs> but um, there's there's also associated with her, though, right? The musk of hangover so warm and thick. It will carry you'll you will carry it inside your mouth for days, which is disgusting. My, my hope is that the musk of the hangover is. The you and not from not from the fishnet panties lady or just from New York. <laughs> I yeah. smell like you're hungover. I just I just walked here. <laughs> I woke up, showered, walked here and now I smell like a hangover. <laughs> I suppose that's possible. You're sitting t- next to too many scabbed people on the <sighs> subway. The sound of wet brooms. Listen, froth, water, concrete, the absence and sputter of evening just like this amazing sonic moment i i love how very particular that is and it's something that i wouldn't have thought to hone in on but as soon as she wrote it i was like yes yeah the, er- the early morning washing of the sidewalks yes absolutely the clearing of it and then of course this <laughs> this uh allusion to Macbeth. right i got that one <laughs> yeah tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow so so you want to talk about that no, I was just, I just got it. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is like one of the most famous of Shakespeare's speeches. Um, and it's from Macbeth, spoken by Macbeth toward the end of the play in Act 5, Scene 5, after Lady Macbeth's death. Mm-hmm. So it's, if you haven't seen it, sorry, I just ruined that for you. <laughs> Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert. It doesn't end well for anybody and, in yeah, Macbeth. It's so horrific. So it's one of the grandest statements of nihilism in English literature. This is this is, comes from the Sound of the Fury. Also, yeah, ag- I'm, I'm, argument, right? I mean, argument sub uh, title. No, yeah. I mean, but that's that's in the same. Um, is it a soliloquy that he's yeah. doing here? Okay. Yeah. So um, there. I mean, we, this nihilism is probably why so many authors have have snagged it in mm-hmm. various ways. You'll you'll recognize, yeah, a number of things, but yeah. So. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Wow. <laughs> so she throws that into this poem and follows it with in your flamboyant despair. Yes. <laughs> I know. I love flamboyant despair. despair. Doesn't it just sound like somebody who's like recklessly heartbroken? Like I hear flamboyant despair and I just imagine this like woman walking through a street in sunrise with her like mascara raining down her face like clutching her shoulders every once in a while and and, like stopping to sob like this flamboyant display of pain i imagine a woman like tearing her hair and beating her chest (laughs) 
<laughs> as she walks down the street or somebody just being overly melodramatic who's selling it harder than they feel it <laughs> maybe maybe that or just somebody who's in, who's indulging in the despair rather than and in the next line she says you fail to suck the sweetness from all that is good and holy watch the pigeons so lovely in their suffering and, and that then that image is married to the image right before it the woman in her flamboyant despair the pigeons in their lovely suffering, right? That, and for some reason, that also reminds me of being sad, walking through the New York, usually in the morning after a mistake, and you know the pigeons neck coo coo cooing and like flopping up when I'm when I'm walking through. That there's something about this that feels like a walk of shame scene that's that's occurring i can't imagine the pigeons leaping to their death and choosing not to flap their wings <laughs> as you're walking just pigeons are crashing to the ground around you my image for your walk of shame home oh okay thanks you added more darkness to their <laughs> what was already a pretty dark walk and but, wow here comes yeah in the melted fat, fat. of the hour that, it's, can't, that just that radiates an idea. I cannot pin that down, but I really, I groove on it. In some ways, I think it kind of goes back to these image of consumption and greed mm-hmm. uh, earlier. That, and maybe also this i this idea of the sort of transience of one's existence. Right, the, the you have this solid fat, and I just imagine somebody like plopping a thing of lard into the skillet into a skillet, and they go, it's sizzling down right mm-hmm. to this fatty thing that you that is then consumed in various ways but the hour is almost up yeah exactly and 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 at the end it becomes sort of unrecognizable from what it previous was what it previously was in the melted fat of the hour a crust punk chokes which is an amazing sound right it sounds like what it is Mm -hmm. a crust punk chokes his dog in an empty park Ugh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The dog whimpers, licking the filth from his wounded feet. I mean, at every turn, every image is undercutting any idealistic ideas about New York, but is also pointing to a kind of perpetual suffering. Mm -hmm. Even the guy on the on the subway who's feeling generous has picked his scabs off and that's what he's offering. Right. He's yeah. Which is terrible. I think the most shocking thing about this poem is that it was commissioned by the NYC tourist bureau. (laughs) They're being really avant garde with their advertising these days. Come get choked by a gutter punk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that dog whimpering at the end, like you can't help but feel that that is the the sort of center, the heart uh, of the poem, that sort of whimpering. The dog that's being choked is whimpering. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it's his fault. Yeah. Right. The belief that it is somehow the dog's fault uh, for being handled thusly. Yeah. The dog came to New York, bright eyed, bushy tailed. <laughs> oh, God. Had big plans. <laughs> Yeah, in some ways. It was Lady from Lady and the Tramp when it first got there. (laughs) No, now it's a mangy pit bull. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, the imagery throughout is wonderful. 
And there's these moments of crescendo where 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 the where the image gets linked to the next image mm-hmm. after it. And so I really like that. So again, I want to now that we've sort of read each image all the way through, come back to this idea of of perspective in mm-hmm. in the poem. So if this is a letter from the sort of speaker to herself and we as audience get to overhear mm-hmm. that that letter then I'm assuming she had a terrible time. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me just a little bit of the beginning of uh, The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, Mm. uh, in which she is, the very first thing she talks about is the electrocution of... Shock therapy? Mm -mm. No, the electrocution of the... Rosenbergs? Yes. Oh. That's one of the very first images of the, you know, like that summer it was, that's one of the things that happened. And she's talking about the sort of exhaustion of the exhilaration she's supposed to feel in New York. She's been, she's won some sort of contest and has gone there as a, as an intern at a magazine. And uh, there's this wonderful reading of the book by um, Maggie. Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal, yeah. Yes. <laughs> she's, got, she's got such great intonation. So in that, dry. Yeah. Uh, she says, it, I mean, she'll, I'll never match what she says, but it's something like, you know, uh, I, I was 21 and in New York, you know, everybody thought I must have been having a real whirl. <laughs> real whirl. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just laden with exhaustion and disgust at everything around her. And so I like this poem because of its. So if this is a poem from the self talking to the self mm-hmm. in some ways, there's something about it that is really unkind mm-hmm. <laughs> in a certain way. There is some judgment here of the way that the self is portraying herself, right? You're so flam- you're flamboyant despair. And then tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, like the person is in a state. Mm-hmm of despair and sadness in this entirely crowded and what is described here as disgusting Mm -hmm. place. But it seems like she's almost adopted a bit of the, the cruel apathetic persona of New York to attack her, her younger or her, I'm saying her, the speaker, I don't want to say her. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying her because I just assume her younger idealized self or the person, the more, the more not idealized self, but the, the younger version in New York. Absolutely. Yeah. That there is this, that there was a kind of idealistic idea that there was this kind of idealistic feeling about beginning her life in New York. And this is where it got her. Mm-hmm. Right. But we could also think of this again as a persona poem from New York, in which case this is feels particularly cruel. Yeah. Right. And it almost feels like, well, it could feel particularly cruel, or you could see it as New York saying, this is what you've made of me. Look at it. Mm-hmm. Look at it clearly. <laughs> clearly now. Let's talk about the magistry of the scabs on the subway. Let's talk about the wonder of the crust punk choking his dog. It's probably why the park was empty. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay, time to go. Lunch break's <laughs> over. That guy's choking his dog. I'm leaving. Yeah, totally. And I, I like that there's, I mean... Imagistically, it's easy to 
marry the tomorrow and tomorrow and the tomorrow with I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Partly there's a repetition of those two things. Partly they're both in italics. But that the sort of nihilistic sense that everything you do is futile is somehow married to also this apology, right? It's almost like, I'm sorry, my life is nothing. I'm sorry, my life is nothing. Um, That kind of echo, the visual echo of that happens with the marrying of those things. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's an interesting poem for its imagery, but also for its use of perspective here. And then we just end with licking the filth from his wounded feet, which is horrific. <laughs> well, at least it's still alive. There's that glimmer. You're overlooking the glimmer of hope. The dog didn't die. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Would that be better? I can't tell. Um, do you want to give us uh, one, one more, more read, read of this of this? Pro Tour New York. <laughs> Come see New York. <laughs> I really like the poem, though, and I still oh, I really yeah, love yeah, New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't like New York, right. but I don't, I don't dislike it anymore because of the poem. Right. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Letter from New York by Erica Sanchez. Every street, fried meat and onion, smears of shit and a gaggle of gadgets. What is the soul but this endless circuitry, the bright and pitiful idea you carry of yourself? Everything open, open. When you say available, what you mean is pornographic. Like a muted orgasm, you are wet and brimming with vague disgust. In the subway station, a man picks his skin and examines it. Feeling generous, he tells you he'd like to share his findings. Rat song, rat baby, rat cloud in the heavens above. The rich smell of baked garbage and coconut curry. Fifth Avenue, a woman's cupped hands catch her dog's excrement as the dignified ferrets talk numbers, tiny mouths moist with want. This is their desire, to slice dollar bills and saute them in fragrant oil. Greed is Saturn swallowing his own son, a man erect with both fear and hunger. The woman in fishnet panties strokes the fruit in a street cart, musk of hangover so warm and thick you'll carry it inside of your mouth for days. The sound of wet brooms. Listen. Froth. Water. Concrete. The absence and sputter of evening. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in your flamboyant despair. You fail to suck the sweetness from all that is good and holy. Watch the pigeons so lovely in their suffering. In the melted fat of the hour, a crust punk chokes his dog in an empty park. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the dog whimpers, licking the filth from its wounded feet.
Actually, on this second read, the melted fat of the hour is a perfect image for evening, right? That over an, a summer evening in New York, the overly uh, warm, Hot, heated, greasy. greasy, right? But also the color, the hue, huh. that sort of like dirty yellow that happens when you melt I've never down been there in fat. New York. I mean, I've never been there in, in summer. Huh. Yeah, on a particularly hot day. It sort of feels that way. You've been and, walking around and it feels like you've got grease all over you. And going back to the whole uh, greed of Saturn, uh, I don't think we touched on the whole like just voraciously eating out of like consuming out, out of, of fear. Out of fear like, no, 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 I, this is it. This is all there is. Yeah. Or somebody's going to eat this if I don't. I mean, even when you don't need it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's intellectually beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> the alignment of those of those things, I think, is is quite pleasurable to read. Well, I think our sub pump is literally going to be turning on momentarily because I hear the water puddling up again. Okay, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. And Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put our mics up now. Yeah, we're going to have to open up a Patreon account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. We are for real. Uh, okay. Fun this out of this basement. Okay. Um, and one more time, don't forget, uh, Danielle will be doing an interview with who again? Or you'll be interviewed by who? Stacy Cochran Live on Facebook. It's on Facebook. It's a Facebook page, Stacy Cochran Live. And that's a Facebook interview page. Okay. And that's going to be this Friday, February 1st at... 6 p.m. Uh, Mountain, Mountain Standard, Standard Time, time. Okay. 5 p.m. Pacific. Pacific. Okay. So listen to that, too. Our theme music is by Status Quo. We have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discussed, a link to purchase the work, author information, and anything else we thought, thought might be relevant, such as a painting or... Uh, from Goya. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or an alternate reading of the palm... Send us a message by using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. Okay. Um, that concludes the evening. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Sorry, New York. We're not, I'm not actually bagging on you at all. Just, you <laughs> it's just it's me, for me, not it, you. It, yeah, it, it was me. You were, you were great, and I have no problem. I have no doubt that you're going to crush so many more other people. <laughs> hey, New York, remember me? No. <laughs> I love you. (laughs) Call me. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Check, check. Check, 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 check. I don't see how I can incorporate the Q&A as into our little zinger at the end Mm -mm. or to the show. Unless it's my current husband. (laughs) You're absolutely the finest wife I have. (laughs) Max, my current husband. (laughs) Danielle, who I still have two more years on the lease. Such a smirky look. Um, Okay, we good? Yeah, I think so.
Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I'm somebody who doesn't research ahead, so I have nothing witty to say right now. And I'm also a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while we...